0: The NBA draft is days away, and the Locked On NBA podcast is mock-drafting every first-round pick the Locked On Celtics podcast took part. We were able to trade up, and we got a pretty damn good player, too. Listen to the Locked On NBA podcast every day leading up to the draft to hear projections of each pick and expert analysis from Chad Ford, the Athletics' John Hollinger, and Sports Illustrated's Jeremy Wu. They'll tell you how I did in drafting for the Boston Celtics. Check the feed to catch up on past shows and don't miss a pick. Subscribe to Locked On NBA today wherever you get podcasts. Hey John Corrales here from MassLive.com I'm the Boston Celtics beat reporter there and the host of the Locked On Celtics podcast and this is a a tough one to do this is a tough podcast to do because we are remembering a legend we lost Tommy Heinsohn on Tuesday Um, and if you listen to Mike Gorman talking about it, Tommy struggled over the past couple of months. It's been a tough couple of months for him and and this is a a sort of blessing in that and to quote Mike, he is in a better place that it's 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 in a way good that he has uh been relieved of apparently some tough going for the past couple of months. It's sad to think that the one man who has been involved somehow in all 17 Boston Celtics championships is now gone. The next time the Celtics win a championship, no one will have been involved in all of them anymore. We know, obviously, that was going to happen at some point. And it's sad to think that we're starting to lose our legends. We just lost John Havlicek. Uh, obviously, uh, recently JoJo White, Tommy is now gone. It's, it's tough to look at Celtics history and some of the greats. And to have to remember them in this way. In this podcast, I'm just going to go through Tommy's life and career. And it really is broken up in three distinct segments. He was a player. He was a coach. He was a broadcaster. And in each of those roles, he made an amazing impact for the Boston Celtics. So those are going to be the three segments in today's podcast starting with him as a player and as i wrote on masslive.com in the uh tribute that i wrote that i hope you go read really tommy heinson is the the type of person where you look at his life and you say wow he was meant to be a celtic No matter where he went, no matter what turn his life took, his career took, it always came back to the Boston Celtics. It always led to the Boston Celtics. So young Tommy Heinsohn goes to Holy Cross. And I don't know why he decided to go to Holy Cross or what other schools he may have been considering, but he decides to go to Holy Cross. He's following in Bob Cousy's footsteps. He has a tremendous career at Holy Cross. And it's important to note that in 1956, in the early days of the NBA, back then, there were territorial picks. And this is how Tommy Heinsohn, it's like the first turn that makes him destined to become a Boston Celtics. Because if he turns uh, and goes to a different college, then maybe he is... This t- the territorial selection of another team. And what the territorial selection is in the early days of the NBA, they're trying to grow a league. And to do that, they in college basketball is hugely popular. They said to NBA teams, you have first right to draft a star in your market. And they thought a fan of that college player, will follow him locally to the NBA team in that market. So the Celtics used their territorial pick in 1956 to take Tommy Heinsohn first. Before they swung a trade to get Bill Russell, and in the same draft where they get Casey Jones, they they get Tommy Heinsohn just because they could, just because they were in Boston and Holy Cross is in Worcester. So right away, once Tommy Heinsohn decided to go to Worcester, it was almost predetermined that he was going to go to the Boston Celtics. Now he comes in and immediately wins Rookie of the Year. Now, of course, this is the same draft where they got Bill Russell, but Bill Russell missed some time playing in the Olympics, and so Tommy ends up winning the 1957 Rookie of the Year. And Tommy is also a huge reason why the Celtics win that first championship in 1957. The first Boston Celtics championship is over the St. Louis Hawks, the team with which they traded for Bill Russell. And if you want to hear more about this, by the way, a lot of these early days, we did a historical podcast over the, the hiatus, uh, myself and Mike Dynan. So go ahead and check those out. You'll hear a lot more about these things in depth, but, the Celtics made the trade with St. Louis, and then they meet St. Louis in the NBA Finals. And in those NBA Finals, in Game 7, Tommy Heinsohn checks in with a 37.23 rebound Game 7. He shot 7 of 13 from the field. He only shot 3 of 11 from the line, so he could have had more. If Tommy had just hit like he had been hitting free throws the the previous... Uh, the rest of the playoffs, he would have had over 40. But he had 37 points, 23 rebounds, and an epic Game 7. An amazing Game 7. One of the best Game 7s you're ever going to see. Tommy comes into this team. Makes this impact on a team that is desperate for a, a shooter, a scorer... With confidence. What we don't remember, and obviously we don't remember this, but when we look back at Celtics history, we ignore things that happened prior to 1957 for the most part, other than Red Arbac coming in and getting Bob Cousy. But before that, when the Boston Celtics came into the NBA in the 1949 50 season, they struggled. I mean, they they were winning. They were winning regular season games, but they were losing in the playoffs. They couldn't get past the the previous rounds. They, they were only two rounds. So they couldn't get into the NBA Finals because the players that they had back then would struggle. Getting Tommy Heinsohn, who back then was known as Tommy Gunn, he would come in, yeah, he'd take bad shots. Bob Cousy has the quote. Yeah, he'd come in, basically he said he'd come in and take bad shots, but they needed a guy with confidence to take those shots because ultimately a guy who shoots with confidence is going to come in and help you win. And that's what Tommy Heinsohn did. Yeah, he took some bad shots, but they needed Tommy Heinsohn to come in there and be the confident shooter. He was the type of guy that they were missing. The guy who was not afraid of the moment. And that's part of why They won right away. Bill Russell is the obvious reason why. Bill comes in and is just the ultimate winner and the best defensive player of all time. And he, along with Tommy Heinsohn, complement each other. Because Tommy Heinsohn comes in and is the offensive type of player that the Celtics need. And in a nine-year career, Tommy Heinsohn wins eight championships. They only lost that one in his second season to the St. Louis Hawks. So Tommy comes in offensively and is an immediate impact player. Another thing that Tommy Heinsohn has to be remembered for is the 1964 All-Star Game, where he, as president of the Players Association back then, the union, that was not recognized by the players, by the uh, owners, Tommy Heinsohn helps lead a protest of the 1964 All-Star Game. This isn't like the All-Star Game of nowadays. This isn't some casual run up and down and throw dunks and whatever, and and everybody's kind of like, cool. This meant something. This was a real game. They played hard in these games. There was no, oh, these guys make millions, so they need to back off. No, these guys all had second jobs. Back then in in the NBA... They all had second jobs. Being a professional basketball player was not exactly the lucrative thing that it is today. A lot of these guys, most of these guys, had to take second jobs. They had side hustles. So Tommy is trying to lead a charge for recognition of the union. So he leads this protest, this boycott of a nationally televised Live All-Star game in Boston, by the way, by saying that the players aren't going to come out. And it cost him because he was vilified by the owners, by the Celtics owner, uh, Walter Brown. But the players stood their ground. They did not come out for warm-ups. And when it was obvious that they weren't kidding the owners relented. They recognized the Players Association and that leads to the players having the rights that they've had. And ultimately to today, where something like the pandemic, the players have power. The players have the rights to negotiate and not just have their money taken away. And we saw what the players did. They got themselves a decent deal where all of their money isn't taken away. And, you know, not all, but they, they spread the losses out, so it wasn't a huge hit. They, they made out. They, did a, they, they negotiated with power, with leverage. You Trace that all the way back to Tommy Heinsohn. In that 1964 All-Star game, he was backed up by Bill Russell. He was backed up by, by Sam Jones. He was backed up by Elgin Baylor of the, uh, the Lakers back then. He was backed up by a lot of those players. But Tommy was the president of the union then, and this was a, a pivotal moment in history. Tommy's impact in his playing days was exponential and should be remembered as such. He ended up retiring in 1965 because he had a foot injury and because he was an insurance salesman and he was doing pretty well as an insurance salesman. So, the grind of thirty-year-old Tommy Heinsohn getting through an NBA season. He was like, "Nah, I make more money being an insurance salesman, and in their management uh, path, so I'm just going to go do that instead." So Tommy Heinsohn retires as a player in 1965. It's amazing that this is what it was back then. When I come back, continuing to remember Tommy Heinsohn. Now as he transitions into coaching and why him passing on the job is what led to an historic decision by Red Arback Built Bar makes the best tasting protein bar ever. I have one every day when I come back from the gym because it is delicious, it is low calorie, and it gives me the protein that I need to fuel my body after a hard workout. They've got 18 amazing flavors, including nut flavors and non-nut flavors, so if you've got an allergy, then you are okay. They're covered in 100% chocolate, but they're still great. If you're health conscious, looking to maintain weight or lose weight, low calorie, low sugar, high protein, high fiber, great for the keto diet. I love them. I get the, the peanut butter ones, 19 grams of protein, 180 calories, 5 grams of sugar, 5 net carbs. It is perfect for when you're busting your butt on the cardio machine, you're not blowing it out with too many calories. If you're lifting, you're fueling your body to get those muscles built, so... Go to BiltBar.com and use promo code LOCKEDON. You'll get 20% off your next order. Use LOCKEDON as the promo code for 20% off at BiltBar.com. We continue to remember Tommy Heinsohn the Celtics legend that we lost on Tuesday at 86 years old. After his playing career, he transitions for a couple of years into that, that insurance industry where he is in an executive role and learning about leadership, learning about managing people, which is actually kind of critical for him because that, that kind of helps him as he moves into the coaching ranks. Now, he had an opportunity after his retirement. Red Arback retired the year after that. And asked Tommy Heinsohn to be the coach. Tommy Heinsohn refused. Now, I had Tommy Heinsohn on this podcast back in April. And he explained his decision to not take that job.
1: Well, the reason I didn't is uh, Russell and I were contemporaries. And uh, uh, Red Auerbach was massive in dealing with Russell. And uh, I, I would never be able to have the same rapport with Bill Russell. And when I when Red talked to me about it, I said, uh, nobody's sort going of to get um, uh, out of Russell what you got out of Russell, Red. Why don't you make Russell a coach? He's so proud he'll he'll, he'll kill himself. <laughs> and uh, that's what he did. So um, I'm sure, perhaps I wasn't the only one, but I, I certainly brought it up. Did a uh, terrific job and uh, uh, went out and won a couple of more titles.
0: That is such a smart decision from Tommy Heinsohn because he knows he's not going to be able to coach Bill Russell. There's only two people that are going to coach Bill Russell. One is Red Arback, and the other is Bill Russell. That's it. And when I was in college, I played for uh, one of the assistant coaches had played for Bill Russell. And he told me some stories about Bill Russell, the head coach. And let me tell you something. That's, that's a hard dude to play for. And that attitude that he had, there was no other coach. Bill, Bill Russell was won over by Red Arback early. And it's because Red let him do what he did. Said, we got you to be you. And he treated him like a human being. He wasn't treating him like some meal ticket. Treated him like a human being for the first time. So he, he got Bill Russell's respect. Tommy, as a, as a player, became friends with Bill Russell. And Bill Russell, in remembering Tommy, would say that this is one of the few good friends that he had. And I don't think that would have survived if Tommy was the coach. And so this is a smart decision. So he lets Bill Russell know that he doesn't want the job and says what he says. And Bill Russell uh, gets the head coaching job, which is historic. He's the first black head coach in NBA history. Now, after he quit, it's funny because Tommy said in that same podcast, I knew that he was done because after the 1969 NBA Finals, Bill Russell teed off on Wilt Chamberlain, which he never did when he was playing because he didn't want to rile him up. But after Bill Russell uh, just blasted Wilt Chamberlain for being pulled from the game with an injury in 1969, that game seven, and not coming back in, he knew, Tommy said, Bill's not going to say something like that when, if he's going to stick around. He's done, and he was right. So Tommy comes in and becomes the head coach, and they miss the playoffs for two years. But then a new crop of superstars comes in, and this is Tommy innovating again. So he's got JoJo White, he's got John Havlicek, he's got some stars, he's got some good role players, and his center is 6'9 Dave Cowens. Dave Cowens is just motor always going, always working, always busting his ass. Physical will do everything. Has lateral quickness, can move on the perimeter a little bit. So Tommy in the seventies, 1974 is playing the type of small ball that they're playing. Now, Tommy Heinsohn rolled with those punches and was an innovator. And you can trace the roots of small ball back to then. You can look at what Tommy Heinsohn was doing in the mid seventies and say, "Wow, he really was—he really was doing what we're trying to do now." There was no three-point line back then, and I know that the three-pointer was not, you know, not something that was very well regarded. But I'm willing to bet because Tommy Heinsohn was never one to just let things go without understanding what they meant to the game. I'm pretty sure that Tommy Heinsohn and all of his running, and he was a run-and-gun type of coach, would have understood that, hey, you know what? If we popped some guy out there in the corner, he might give us more space to finish layups. I'm, I'm positive of that. But we'll never know, obviously, because you can't go back in history and paint a three-point line there in the, in the early 70s. That didn't come until after Tommy was done. But Tommy Heinsohn going small with the 6'9 center was innovating. Really just, again, the impact that he had on the league. Doing things before anyone else really thought that they should be doing them. Another coach might have played Hank Finkel, who was a seven-footer, and had Cowens as the power forward and figured something else out, but no. Heinzen rolled with Cowens as the center and ran bigger teams to death. He said it. He was in the Globe once, and he said, we would basically make them quit. We'd make them not want to come out for that fourth quarter. So Tommy wins two titles in the seventies with this up-tempo. Now he learned the up-tempo thing from Red R back, but he wins two titles with this style, wearing some amazing plaid suits, awesome plaid suits. Google it. It's awesome. And then things change. New ownership comes in. A trade is made. Players come in that he doesn't want. They don't work out. And all of a sudden, things fall apart and Tommy Heinsohn is out. If you want the details, again, you can go back to the historical podcasts that Mike Dynan and I did. Just scroll back in the feed and you'll, you'll find them. We talk about the 70s and a lot of these specifics. But Tommy Heinsohn has... Disdain for this ownership group. He has, he's, he's sick of the politics. Things fall apart and he's out. Before he really gets deep into the broadcasting, he almost went to the Houston Rockets in 1983. And when I say things are meant to be, this is what I mean. The Rockets want him in 1983. He could have gone and done it no matter what. He talks to them. He says I want this guy as a free agent. They're like, "Eh, I don't know. Why would you want him?" He explains it and they're like still, I don't know. And he leaves that meeting saying, "You know what? If they're not going to if they don't understand what I'm trying to do, then I'm not going to sit here for 5 years and bang my head up against the wall." So he turns down a million dollar deal with the Houston Rockets. And that opens the door For him to become Tommy of Mike and Tommy. Mike Gorman explains their first time working together when I come back. continue to remember the legacy of Tommy Heinsohn who we lost on this Tuesday after leaving the coaching ranks he becomes a broadcaster and is doing games with Red Arback. but eventually we know he he spends four decades with Mike Gorman It's a partnership that started on a whim. We had Mike Gorman on this show back when it was the Rain and Jays. And this is insane because I didn't realize this. November 10th, 2017. Three years to the day before Tommy passed. We had Mike Gorman on the Rain and Jays podcast before we joined the Lockdown Podcast Network, was me and Jay King. And we had Mike Gorman on. And here he is explaining that first interaction with Tommy Heinsohn.
1: I go to Tier 12, and, and we're doing the getting ready to do the Providence College games, and we don't have a color person. And I say to them, at this meeting, I say, why don't we try to get Tom Heinsohn in there? And some guy, Tom Heinsohn would never want to come to an island to do basketball. At the time, Tommy was doing Celtic away games with Ritt. And so I said, well, what do we got to lose? So I called a Celtics, asked for Tommy Heinsohn's number. They gave it to me, which probably they, they would never do today, but they did then. Uh, um, I called Tommy and I said, uh, introduced myself and said, would you be interested in doing color on Providence College? He said, sure, absolutely. So I said, uh, terrific. So we, we bring him in. The first game, remarkably, that we're going to do is Providence College at Holy Cross. So I show up at the game. And I've got my, I got my grandy stuff in front of me. Okay. I got notes. I got multicolored charts. I got shooting percentages. I got how many kids are in this guy's family, what their major is, you name it. I got it. So Tommy comes in and he looks at the, the stuff spread out at the table in front of us, in front of me. And he says, here's where the language you can clear up. He goes, what's that? And I said, uh, that's the stuff we're going to use during the game. And he reaches down and he crumples it up in a ball and throws it to the floor. And he says, we're not going to need that. Uh, and I said, Oh, okay. And he looked at me and he said, we're going to talk about what happens in front of us. That's all we're going to talk about.
0: I mean, that's hilarious. <laughs> Mike Gorm is like, Oh, all right. You're just throwing all my stuff on the floor. No problem. I guess we're just going to do it this way then. Now, Mike eventually becomes Tommy's partner on the Celtics broadcast for whatever many iterations prior to NBC Sports Boston. And their run throughout the whole thing is just, is just legendary. It's an iconic NBA duo. Like I said, four decades, four decades of Mike and Tommy. And it's just been such a wild ride and so much fun. And we've seen so much with them. The, the Tommy points and the Walter McCarty thing are maybe the most enduring kind of legacy for Tommy in the broadcast booth aside for hating the referees and wearing the green goggles I mean, he never, he never liked anything uh, that a referee did. I never liked a single thing that a referee did. But I think the Tommy points in his love affair with Walter McCarty was really the most indicative, enduring legacy for Tommy Heinsohn. He loved Walter McCarty because Walter McCarty wasn't a great player. Walter McCarty's a guy who worked hard and did the dirty work and ran and defended and did all the little things that wouldn't show up in a stat sheet. He loved Walter McCarty for all those little things. And he loved Walter so much that he came up with this way to give – Walter Stats. And that's where the Tommy point came in. Guys would work hard. Guys would dive. Guys would do things. And he would say, that's a Tommy point. And that was his way of giving the hard workers who weren't going to do all the scoring, like Paul Pierce and Antoine Walker back then and and all the other guys that were going to fill up the stat sheet he was giving the Tommy points to the underrated guys to make sure that they got recognition. Because you know what? Tommy was one of those guys that never got the full recognition. Here's a guy that was a six-time All-Star, four-time All-NBA, second team, a Hall of Famer as a player, a Hall of Famer as a coach, one of only four people to, to have that honor as a, both a Hall of Fame player and coach. And still, he's underrated. Because when he played, the legacy of those 60 Celtics is Bill Russell, Bob Cousy, Sam Jones, other guys, bigger scorers, star players. Tommy was Tommy Gunn. Tommy was the gunner. He was the offensive guy. (laughs) But he never got that full full recognition that he thought that he deserved even as a coach he coached in the 70s the dark days of the nba things were out there worse than the 1970s really a lot of people don't remember much about the 70s it was like the 60s rivalries the 70s kind of happened and then the 80s rebirth the glory days so tommy gets overshadowed obviously when you come to coaches Red Auerbach's going to be the guy. Best coach in Celtics history is Red Auerbach. But then you say, okay, think of another great coach in Celtics history. Honestly, a lot of people, they go to Casey Jones. He won two championships with Larry Bird in the 80s. So you think, well, you know, Casey, you know, rode Larry, road Kevin, road Parish. You know, won two championships. Yeah. I'm sure Doc Rivers gets a lot of recognition. The people sort of forget that Tommy was the innovative type of coach that he was. So he created these Tommy points to give guys the recognition, the type of recognition that he always felt like he deserved. And it's not Tommy's fault. We don't in 2020 have much to go on besides things that people like me in this podcast are saying, or in the historical podcast that we did with Mike you know those those types of things a lot of you you're a lot of new listeners you don't have a lot of you don't have the, the the big grasp of history i don't have the same grasp of history as anybody that lived through it i had to go back and learn and research and and dive into that kind of stuff to learn exactly the impact that he had but also that was a that was the early days of the nba there were 6 teams Black players were not exactly welcome in the league. There were only a handful. So the league wasn't fully integrated. And so a lot of things that happened back then are very much dismissed out of hand by a lot of people. And I understand that. Many of the best players in the world were not allowed or were shunned and held out. So I can see people... How many people look at Bill Sharman as this NBA legend? But he was, and I'm of the personal belief that whenever someone is a star in a in an extended period of time, that that person would have figured out how to be a star in whatever era. Because if Tommy Heinsohn had come in to this era, obviously with his attitude, <laughs> he would have been very, very willing to shoot. He's a 6'7", 220 pound in his playing days, power forward. That loved to shoot and was a pretty good free throw shooter. And no one was a good shooter from the field back then. But I just have the feeling that if he was the type of player now, like if he came into the league now, at 6'7", a guy who could move, a guy who was willing to work, he would have been... Willing to learn. He probably would have learned how to shoot. He probably would have been a better outside shooter. And so. I feel like he would have learned. Just like I feel like Bill Russell. People talk about what's the downside of Bill Russell. Well he played against nobody. And he was a string bean. Well as I always say. Those guys back then would have had access to today's medical technology and, and exercise, you know, physiology, all that whatever ology that goes into building the bodies that these guys have. And conversely, guys that were huge in that, that are giants in today's game wouldn't have access to that. They'd be working second jobs. So they'd be a lot skinnier and not as strong back then. So but Tommy Heinsohn played when he played. And so he was underrated. The Tommy point and his love affair with Walter McCarty is indicative of who Tommy was and not just the fact that he was a broadcaster looking to have some fun. It, it meant something to Tommy to recognize these guys. Tommy Heinsohn is a Celtic, was always meant to be a Celtic. Everything that he did brought him back to Boston. He lived. Marcus Smart said this. In fact, I'm not even going to say it. I'm going to let Marcus Smart say it. I'll read his tweet. I don't know what to say except that Tommy didn't love basketball. He lived it. He didn't love the Celtics. He lived the Celtics. All the players that wore the green, they were his life. And we'll miss you, Tommy. And that's the truth. Tommy would always pull these guys aside and I'd see it often he'd pull these guys aside and talk to them tell them what he saw didn't care who it was he'd still give you he'd still give that person his opinion and that's because he cared he cared and he loved the Boston Celtics and he loved being a part of this franchise he knew how hard it was to be a Celtic to have these expectations thrust upon you just by virtue of being drafted by this team and playing under those banners he knew what that meant the pressure that came with it. he endured it as a player as a coach as a broadcaster he loved it he lived it We all have spent part of our lives loving this team. Tommy Heinsohn is the Boston Celtics. And Tommy Heinsohn deserves all the recognition that he didn't get. We will miss you, Tommy. We all love you.